0: All right, Romans chapter 11, we're in verses 25 through 36, and um, this is a hard passage. I'll talk more about its difficulty, but as we bring um, our study in Romans chapter 11 to a close, we're also closing out our study of what, Paul had to say about the matter of Israel's salvation. And remember that began back in chapter 9. So for three chapters, Paul has been concentrating on uh, what is the story with with physical Israel, national Israel, the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, I'm not the only one who thinks that this is a hard passage. Frankly, in all of my sermons through the book of Romans, this passage has been the hardest to, to study for. Um, but I'm not the only one. Even Peter confessed difficulty in understanding everything that Paul wrote. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Peter wrote, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation... Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you in the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks uh, in them of these matters. There are some things in them, that is in Paul's letters, that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So Paul's writings are included in the scriptures, But here's the Apostle Peter admitting that there are some things uh, in Paul's letters that are hard to understand. Um, So I'm going to do my best. I'm going to tell you what I think the passage means. And uh, hopefully next Sunday I'm not recanting or correcting. But uh, what I'm going to tell you this morning is what the Lord has taught me and this is what I believe right now. So the first thing we're going to see here, the overall theme is um, the mystery of Israel's salvation. That's just the heading at the beginning of this section in, in the ESV. I think that's a great heading. That's true. That's the theme. And the first thing that we see there in this passage is uh, what Paul has to say about how all Israel will be saved. He ends up saying that in verse 26, we will get to that. All Israel will be saved. So as it begins, it's easy enough to, to understand. Paul uh, says here in verse 25, lest you be wise in your own sight, I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. This is the same warning that he gave back in verse 18. Do not be arrogant toward the branches, toward the, um, the physical Jews, the natural branches that belong naturally in God's olive tree. Don't be arrogant towards them. Don't be wise in your own sight. And... It's a reminder that uh, this is uh, the reason why Paul is writing in this way. This is, this is his pastoral point. And frankly, it helps us to understand um, the meaning of some of the words that follow as well, which we will, which we will get to. But it's a reminder, once again, that uh, there, there were some believers, Gentile believers... In the church in Rome, members in that church who were guilty of ethnic pride, of exclusivism. They they thought of themselves as better than the Jews because, after all, the, the Jews had by and large rejected the gospel, and these Gentiles, these non Jewish believers in Rome, had believed the gospel, they had received. The gospel. And so it was easy for them, carnally speaking, humanly speaking, to look down their noses at the Jews and uh, manifest that particular form of anti Semitism. Uh, And so it's a good warning for us. We are all saved, every single one of us, not because we're special or because we're from the right stock or the right country or any other reason found in us, we're saved because of God's sovereign grace. God chose in and of himself to have mercy on us. That's why we're saved. There's no room, no reason for us to to be arrogant or to look down on anybody else no matter who they are, because God has saved the likes of us. He also says there in verse 25, he refers to this this mystery. I want you to understand this mystery, brothers. This mystery means something that had previously been hidden that God had revealed to Paul wasn't an absolute mystery, necessarily. Uh, there were bits and pieces. There, there were dots that needed to be connected. There were uh, pieces to the puzzle. But the whole thing, the big picture, was missing. God had revealed that to Paul because he was, he was an apostle. And uh, he tells us what this mystery is. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. He had already talked about this, uh, this hardening process throughout this whole passage from uh, chapter 9 through chapter 11. And that, uh, as you'll recall, describes the invisible spiritual process by which God gave unbelieving Jews over to their own stubborn hard-heartedness toward the gospel. And remember, whenever God hardens a sinner, whether it's a Jewish sinner or a Gentile sinner, he doesn't inject anything into their hearts that's not already there. He doesn't make us sin. He doesn't tempt us to sin but he hardens our hearts in that the existing hardness is allowed to go on, to increase. But we've also seen, and he says that again here, that this hardening of Israel, national, physical Israel, this hardening is only partial We saw that earlier in chapter 11 too. There is a remnant chosen by grace, and uh, Paul himself was a part of that. He was an example of this remnant, this small minority of Jews who in every age, including Paul's day and time, would indeed believe the gospel and be saved. That was because of God's grace. So this hardening was not complete as if there were no Jews ever being saved, nor is it final as if the present condition is the way it's going to always be. Yes, there will always be a remnant of believing Jews chosen by grace. Yes, for now. And since the gospel age began, It's been like a trickle compared to this uh, flow of Jews being saved, but there's a very strong suggestion before this time, and I think it becomes even uh, more clear in terms of a promise, but those times are going to change. God is not done dealing with national Israel but this, this hardness of heart, this spiritual hardening among the Jews, Paul mentions it in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 14 as well, where, where Paul write, uh, wrote, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, and that was part of their privilege that we uh, saw back in chapter 9, um, Verses uh, uh, 4 and 5, part of the privilege was their access to the scriptures. But when they read the Old Testament, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. It's an amazing picture. Paul says that the Jews in his day, and this continues until this very day, they can read Isaiah chapter 53, for example a chapter that to Christians is such a vivid description of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ some 700 years before it actually occurred. And they can read that and not see it, not because it's not clear, but because there's a veil over their eyes. They're blind, But this blindness over the vast majority of Jews is for a time, Paul says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Back in verse 12, we saw uh, Paul's words, now, if their trespass, Um, the physical Jews' rejection of the gospel, their rejection of Jesus the Messiah, that's their trespass. If that trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Their fullness. So just as... There is going to come a time when the fullness of the Gentiles has run its course. So there will be a time when the fullness of the Jews will commence. That seems to be what Paul is saying. And also notice in verse 15. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, that's us, We're part of that Gentile world, the nations, as opposed to uh, national Israel. What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? The, The Jews' full inclusion, their acceptance back into that olive tree that Paul goes on to describe in Romans chapter 11. It's going to be so dramatic. It'll be as dramatic as life from the dead. It seemed as if the Jewish people were dead in terms of their belief in their own Messiah, but at some point, they're going to come alive. And Jesus himself talked about this Difference in this period of time. Back in Luke 21, verses 23 through 24, Jesus said this, and Jesus says a lot in this passage, I'm not even going to touch, but I'm just pointing out one thing. So there, Jesus said, For there shall be great distress on the earth and wrath on this people, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword. And they shall be taken captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until, Jesus says, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. This is the same idea that Paul is talking about here in Romans 11 and verse 25. Jesus says, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Paul says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Then, things are going to be different. Then, the tables are going to be turned. Then, instead of um, Israel, physical Israel, being the minority of this olive tree growing, and the Gentiles being the majority, it seems that it's going to turn around. And the Jews, once again, will be the supermajority, and the Gentiles will be the minority. That is this period that Paul seems to be looking into in the fullness of, of the Gentiles has come in. So that's verse 25. Moving on now to verse 26. And in this way, what way? What is just described to us in verse 25? This is going to continue this partial hardening on the part of the Jews, the Gentiles being grafted into the olive tree in in mass. And then there's going to be this period when the the Gentiles are the minority and the uh, natural Jews are the supermajority. In this way, all Israel will be saved. And that statement, that phrase, is one of the most controversial statements in the whole Bible. And I could spend um, a series of sermons preaching on it, and I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm going to try my best to just cut to the chase and tell you what I believe Paul is saying there. Um, I, I have to admit that I have a lot of affinity with the idea that all Israel is basically synonymous with this whole olive tree that Paul has already introduced to us. And so all Israel means all of God's people, both Jews and Gentiles, who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus as illustrated by the olive tree. Now, there's a lot of truth in that, in that we are the true Israel. We are God's holy nation. We are being built into uh, God's new temple. We're living spiritual stones and all of that. But I believe that Israel here, in Romans 11 and verse 26, means the physical descendants of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'd like to explain why. These these are new covenant promises that uh, Paul goes on to mention in verses 26 and 27. So he says, As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion, he will banish ungodliness from Jacob, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That is taken from Isaiah chapter 59, verses 20 and 21. And um, there are people, there are good Christians today who believe that this passage is looking, this prophecy is looking way forward into the future. And so Jesus, the Messiah, is going, the Deliverer, is going to come out of national Israel in the future. And I think that that's going too far. I don't think that's consistent with the text. We're going to see later on in verses 30 and 31 Uh, that Paul does refer to his own time. But now, he says in verse 30, and in verse 31, he he says, uh, now again. So this dynamic that Paul has introduced is not reserved for the distant future. It's, It's a dynamic that had already begun during his time but it was going to come to its culmination, its fruition at some point in the future. And the reason that's important to note is that the deliverer will come from Zion. Jesus has already done that. Jesus himself was a Jew. He, he was born in the city of David, Bethlehem. He, he was born to Jewish parents, according to the flesh, He fulfilled all kinds of prophecies concerning the Jewish Messiah. He he kept the whole Jewish law. Jesus was a Jew through and through. He came from Zion. This has already happened in that sense. But here's what I think Paul is, is getting at. So, The New Covenant promises, they apply to all believers, both Jews and Gentiles. In the New Covenant, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile, Gentile and and Jew. And the New Covenant finds its ultimate fulfillment, its ultimate fruition in the end times when there's this, this massive gathering in of of Jews, but the fact that the promises of the new covenant apply to us as Gentiles even now does not take away from the fact that promises like these were given to the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what that's what Paul is saying. It, it's it's in the same vein as. Uh, Him referring to their own olive tree earlier. Uh, They were broken off because of unbelief, but God is able to graft them back into their own olive tree. It's theirs. It was promised to them. It was intended for them, as it were. In the same sense, in verses 26 and 27, even though we can can see many places in the New Testament where promises like these in Isaiah 59, verses 20 and 21, are fulfilled in the New Testament church, and they are. They are still native promises to the physical Jews. These promises go far beyond the physical descendants of Israel, but they do not exclude them. But since we're here, these verses tell us some very important truths about the new covenant, about the dual character of salvation. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob ungodliness. God is concerned about ungodliness. We're we're told in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 that that the wrath of God comes against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of sinful people. And that's what the gospel is um, the opposite of. And then if you look with me in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 I told you it wasn't easy Maybe you're thinking, "Ah, it seems easy to me. What's your problem?" Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 Here the same human author Paul wrote, "For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people and Romans chapter 11 has taught us that all people means all nations of the world, not just the the Jews, not just the physical descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To all people. Training us, believers, those who believe in the grace of God, those who have been saved by the grace of God, training us certain things. Not to let go and let God. Not to not worry about how we live because at least we're forgiven. No, that's not what the grace of God teaches us. It teaches us to be... uh, It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That, I believe, is the fulfillment of what Paul says in um, Romans 11 as he quotes from Isaiah 59, verses 20 and 21. This is the deliverer banishing ungodliness from Jacob. Now Jacob is composed mainly of Gentiles with a smattering of Jews. But someday, there'll be many more Jews. But God is concerned with much more than just forgiving us, with pardoning us. He is concerned with our godliness. He's concerned with banishing our ungodliness. God is concerned about how you and I live. And then, verse 27, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This is mentioned in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 20 and 21. It's also, um, there's a much longer promise of this new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. And here, the emphasis is on the forgiveness of sins. This will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And what did John the Baptist say about Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus did that by dying in our place on the cross. He did that by being punished, judged, condemned for our sins in our place. He he drank the cup of the wrath of God to its bitter end. He emptied it. In that way, Jesus took away our sins. So, it's really good for us to remember this dual character of salvation. There is this cleansing aspect, our sanctification, but there is, this, there is also this forgiving aspect, our justification. Both are uh, part of this package deal of our salvation. God does both in every sinner whom he saves. So that's point number one. (laughs) So let's move on. And uh, there's been a change. I changed my outline in your bulletin. Cross out your outline heading and put this up there. I think this is more faithful with the text. So now in verses 28 through 32, Paul talks to us about God's dealings with national Israel and believing Gentiles. God's dealings with national Israel and believing Gentiles. Verse 28. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. That is a mouthful. So clearly, Paul is not saying that physical Jews are already saved. Clearly, he's not saying, oh, the gospel is for you Gentiles. This is God's way for non-Jews to be saved, but for the Jews... They're already saved, or they're halfway there. They just need to keep the law of Moses, or or some such thing. Unbelieving Jews are just as lost, just as condemned, just as under the wrath of God as unbelieving Gentiles. They are enemies of God. Regarding the gospel. Because they reject the gospel, they reject Jesus, they are God's enemies. Very strong statement. But then Paul doesn't leave it there. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Amazing statements. Look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 10. We're going to skip over Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 8. What is Paul talking about here? Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 15. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers. And to the Jews, what does that mean? It means their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them He kept on promising Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would would produce a multitude of descendants that are more in number than the stars in the heavens and the sands on the seashore. He also promised that uh, this would ultimately come to fruition in the great seed of Abraham with a capital S the Lord Jesus Christ and his offspring, believers by faith, but still there is this this physical promise of physical offspring because of God's love. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. That's what this love is that Paul is talking about in Romans 11 and verse 28. It's not a love unto salvation because in the previous sentence, he already said, they're God's enemies. Because of the gospel, they're they're not saved. But they are loved. They are chosen as a people, as a nation because of God's love and faithfulness to their fathers. Abraham, Isaac, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Paul really brings us home in verse 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. There is no getting around that. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. What has Paul been talking about this whole time? He's been talking about problems between Gentiles and Jews in the church in Rome and how the Gentile believers were arrogant towards the Jews and how they needed to be careful because those Gentile believers are wild olive branches. They're being grafted in while the natural olive branches have been broken off by unbelief. But those natural olive branches are going to be grafted back in again don't be wise in your own sight. Israel, Israel, Israel. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God has not canceled. God has not revoked his special promises to the physical descendants of the Jewish forefathers. That that's what that means. I'll say again just to be clear. Doesn't mean they're already saved. Doesn't mean they're saved by some other method or some other message. But it does mean that this will never end. He's going to go on to say that... uh, Well, just listen to verse 30 and 31. He's still buttressing this point. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, it was because of their disobedience, their unbelief that God broke them off as natural branches and began ingrafting the Gentiles. so they too have now become disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. And this is all part of uh, the Jews being envious, jealous of God's grace to the Gentiles. And this, this, I believe, is part of the mystery that had been revealed to Paul, but... uh, previous scripture writers and prophets and believers didn't get. They didn't see that. And then he finally um, says in verse 32, here's the conclusion, for God has consigned all to disobedience. And in, in the context of his discussion, the all means Jews and Gentiles. The Jews are not more disobedient than the Gentiles? Those Gentile believers in the church at Rome should be able to relate with this. They should be able to relate with the disobedience of the Jews. Because God has consigned all to disobedience, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no difference. Paul says in Romans 3 and verse 23. But God's plan doesn't end with the disobedience of sinners. God's plan is a plan of redemption. So in that last phrase of verse 32, he adds, in order that he may have mercy on all. Now this is not a promise of universal salvation for Jews or Gentiles or both. But it's, it's a reminder that we all stand in need of God's mercy. All who are saved are saved only because of God's mercy, and there's no distinction, no exceptions. And God's mercy is so large. And so worldwide and multinational and cross-cultural that there will be a multitude of disobedient sinners from every tribe and tongue and people and language who will receive mercy. So how does Paul wrap up this whole discussion? with praise. The Romans doxology in verses 33 through 36. It's as if Paul is catching his breath. He just realizes what he just said. I have just written a mouthful. I I have said a whole bunch in these three chapters that concern weighty, weighty matters, matters that concern the salvation of sinners, both Jews and Gentiles, and the future of God's dealings with the church and with national Israel, the plan of God, this is big, this is profound, this is weighty. So what do I say in conclusion? Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. God's Here Paul is talking about God's providential control of salvation history. And something way beyond human understanding. His thoughts really are higher than our thoughts, and his ways really are higher than our ways. And then in verse verses thirty-four and thirty-five, he quotes again from the Old Testament For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Those two questions are from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 13. And then here's a question probably from Job, or who has been, or uh, or who has given a gift to him that is the Lord, that he might be repaid? This is part of God's answering Job in chapter 41 and verse 43. In other words, it shouldn't surprise us as Bible-believing Christians that some of the things that God says in his word aren't going to fit in our pea-sized brains. Because no matter how smart you might be and no matter how big your brain might be, you're still just a creature. You're still just a fallen human Being, you're not going to plumb the depths of the wisdom and understanding of Almighty God. So no wonder the Word of God has some things that are hard to understand. And then in verse 36, For from him and through him and to him are all things. This is a reminder, unless we forgot, that human salvation is not something that is within the purview of man. Human salvation is also within the grand scheme of the providence of God and the sovereignty of God. All of what God does with sinners, both Jews and Gentiles, all of what what God does in governing history and bringing it to its conclusion, all of what God does in all of that is from him and through him and to him. No exceptions. Nothing falls off his plate. He doesn't forget anything. He doesn't stop and regroup. He doesn't re-engineer a new plan. He doesn't say, Oh, man, this ain't working. Let me add an addendum. Nope. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Everything is exactly on course. Everything is following God's schedule. Nothing is late Nothing is missing. Everything is there. And who gets the glory for all of this? To him, God, be glory forever. Amen. He wrote, and Paul did in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, that God's plan of salvation, which is by grace, is to the praise of the glory of God's grace. We can take no credit. Your salvation does not make you look good. Your salvation makes God's grace look good. My salvation makes God look glorious. And it'll always be that way. So, real quickly, some quick takeaways. Number one, the Jewish people are still God's chosen people in that they are still the only nation, the only race physically chosen by God for blessing, even though they're not saved until they believe the gospel. They still are. And by the way, that is my interpretation of the modern state of Israel. Now here a bunch of you are going to throw things at me maybe. But the modern nation state of Israel is not the reconstruction of the old covenant. The old covenant is obsolete and has already passed away. There's a new covenant and there is a new people of God that consists of both Jews and Gentiles. But still, the modern nation-state of Israel is a providential blessing from God in preserving the Jewish people. Remember that the historical context was Hitler trying to wipe them all out. And after World War II came to the conclusion that it did, the Third Reich was... Defeated, the Nazis were defeated, Uh, the Final Solution was defeated. That is when the modern nation state of Israel was founded as a way of protecting and preserving the Jewish people. Number two, in terms of takeaways, all is well in Christ's kingdom. Brothers and sisters, we always need to remember that. I might be more of a news junkie than any of you. I I read certain news sites every day. I know what's going on in the world. I'm interested in politics. And there are some days, like 365 out of 365, that at some point I just go, what in the world is going on? Where is this headed? What's happening to our country? That, that, that. All is well in Christ's kingdom. Amen. All might not be well in the history of the United States of America. I believe that America is under the judgment of God because of the great blessings and privileges that he's given to us and how we're, we're using those blessings and privileges for evil. And I'm not saying that this judgment is unto our country's destruction. I hope and pray that just as in our nation's history, there have been revivals and great awakenings, so there will be revivals and great awakenings again. But we are under God's judgment. But here's the thing, just because America is an empire on the decline doesn't mean that the kingdom of God is falling apart. Please hear that. Because a lot of Christians think, oh, wow, America, things aren't going so well. Our national debt is over $30 trillion and this and that. Jesus is coming back. Well, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But the plight of the United States is no barometer of the health or lack thereof of the kingdom of God. All is well in Christ's kingdom. Jesus is still saving sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in his person and work alone. Jesus Christ is still building his church there is still a multitude of every from every tribe nation kindred and tongue that is being populated of believers in Jesus and then thirdly and finally by way of takeaway don't despise mystery in God's dealings with us when there's things that God is doing that you just rack your brain and you say, what is God doing? Instead of that leading you and me to a dark place of hardening our hearts, which is apparently what happened in the hearts and minds of so many Jews, may the mystery of God's dealings with people lead us to a place of worship. That's the whole point of the Romans doxology. Who can get all of this but God? To God and God alone be glory forever.